Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with The Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Hello, we are so glad you've joined us today. You know, over the past weeks, Walt and I have been talking about the significance of water throughout the pages of the Bible, really over 600 different references. And no, we're not going to do 600 podcast oh, shows. Oh, good, good heavens. <laughs> we, 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 are, we have some other things um, up our sleeve and ahead for the coming months, but you know, one of the famous bodies of water found in Scripture, and Walton, I have to tell you, it is one of our favorite places to uh, oh, visit. Come on, it, every place well, we that's visit true. in Israel is I one know. of our favorite places. I mean, places. even when I thought about saying that, I was just like, <laughs> who am I kidding? <laughs> What's your favorite place where I am today? Well, we typically spend several days in the northern part of Israel, in the region of the Galilee around the Sea of Galilee. You know, it is a beautiful setting, and we are reminded in Matthew eleven twenty and those verses following, Jesus performed most of his miracles in this area of Israel. And the Lord goes on, even in this passage, to name cities that are located all around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent a lot of time at the Sea of Galilee. And this week, three of the gospel writers include the story in their accounts. We want to make some observations today and even note um, that their different wording, their the way their sentence structure is, but they're going to stress different details about this powerful event experienced by Jesus and his disciples. And we want to take a closer look at that and be good students of the word this week. So let's begin with the first verses found in Matthew 8 in verse 23 and 24. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves but he was asleep. You know, Brenda, even as you, you raise that up, I don't know what folks that are listening, if you've never been to the Sea of Galilee, what is, what is um, in your imagination, what does it look like? Is it like a, a huge lake? Is it, is it um, are there palm trees? What is it like? Well, it's a very unique uh, little lake, actually. It's unique in location, its geography, and then its significance to this story. They all come together. The, the Sea of Galilee, again, is not a very large lake. It's only about 13 miles by 8 miles, 13 miles long at its longest, 8 miles wide at its widest, or about 21 kilometers by 13 kilometers. But it's unique, and it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, and it's not even close. It's almost exactly 700 feet below sea level or 210 meters below sea level. That's amazing. And it's surrounded by these mountains. They tower over a thousand feet above the water level. And so think of a bowl-shaped lake that can experience some unusually powerful storms that can arise very suddenly, especially from the west. It comes in this wider valley and it narrows down and the wind goes and man, it can get really rough really fast. Yeah, and around the Sea of Galilee, 
Don't ever believe there's sandy beaches. Yes. There are no sandy beaches no, at the Sea of Galilee. There's stone beaches. And even as we talk about the storm, I, I often hear interject. Um, in 1997, on my second trip to Israel, there were a group of pastors, and we were out on the Sea of Galilee, and we were having quiet the boat. We're going to have our devotional time. And all of a sudden, uh, the radio made noise, and the captain started the engine. We're like, we're not done. Oh, we were done because a storm came in off the Mediterranean and we couldn't even go to the normal place where we dock. We had to go to the, the man-made harbor of Tiberias and we got to experience a storm on the Sea of Galilee and we were in a modern boat and they made us put on our, our, our life jackets. It was wild. And it sort of made this story come alive, oh, yeah. right? You, the you pastors, understood. The pastors are all saying, this is great. We're seeing the storm and Uh-oh. it's like, and the, and the crew was like this is not great let's get into the harbor well mark continues this story and and even adds a few more details and he says this in mark chapter 4 beginning with verse 35 and he said on that day when evening had come jesus said let's get in and boat cross to the other side he gives this detail we're going from one side most likely the west side of the Sea of Galilee, to the east side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, Jesus, with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Yeah, and as you read that, I remember... um Dr. Tony Evans preaching at Moody Bible Institute, their Founders Week. And he said, you know, not only was Jesus asleep in the boat, but he had a pillow. He yeah, found, what's the pillow He found thing? a pillow, yeah. So I'll just never forget that. Appreciate that so much from Dr. Evans. You know, Mark and Matthew and Mark and Luke, as they share these accounts, as their readers, we can gain insight into the story. They are not contradicting each other. So as we're going back and forth, Walt and I today, we want to just take you back and forth between these three authors. They're not contradicting each other. Rather, they're writing from their individual perspective. And remember, they're each speaking to different audiences, which is valuable for us. Yeah. And usually we just place ourselves, we plunk down in one of the gospel accounts and just go through it. But, but we think it's valuable also to to do this comparison and, and say, okay, well, why are they doing this? And, and we have some perspective, perspective even from these authors themselves. Right. And Matthew, remember, Matthew's the tax collector. He lives here in this region. He's very familiar with what they're, we're going from one county, you know, they're getting on the boat and let's, and we're going to cross to the other side. So we're in one county or a state and we're going to cross to the other side to the next county over to the next state over. Well, Mark, who's he writing? He's writing to the Gentile audience, especially focused on Roman readers. So he's providing details through the eyes of the Apostle Peter. And then Luke, the physician, and Luke is probably most likely the only Gentile writer in the New Testament books as as we have them today. And he's providing geographic details that give greater understanding to his audience because Luke's audience probably they may never have been to the Sea of Galilee. They don't have that feel. And so 
This is what Luke is saying to us in Luke 8, beginning in 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. So you see the similarity there. Matthew, Mark, here's Luke. And now continuing in verse 23, and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. What do those words show us? And even as Luke says that, remember, it's surrounded by these thousand foot peaks. Um, Not I shouldn't say peaks, but plateaus all around there. And that sense is the wind is coming down. And if you take a a little soup bowl and put put some water in it and then blow hard from one side, you're going to see waves spring up really fast. And that's what's happening. You know, one of the other unique details, we see some, some of the comparisons, some of the differences, but one of the similarities, all three authors tell us that Jesus is asleep. And what's unique about that, and I mean, Jesus slept because he was a, a fully man, but this is the only place where these three gospel writers tell us that Jesus is asleep. And there's something important about that. I could stress the exhaustion of Jesus after a full day of ministry, um, and, and that's true. But it could also stress that he had supernatural calm and peace in the midst of this chaotic storm. And I think what it's trying to stress that he is man, truly man. He is physically exhausted. He's been working hard all day. He gets in the boat and the calm lapping of the water and just that sense of tranquility, and he goes to sleep. But he's also God, truly God. He can have a peace that passes all understanding. What's great, he can also give that to us. And I love when Mark, he records that he's asleep in the stern on a cushion. It's getting us ready to say, oh my heavens, there's about chaos is about ready to break over everything. And there's Jesus asleep, calm, and collected. And so you see in these first opening verses, each of these gospel writers have painted that picture. Jesus and his disciples are on a boat. They're going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side, and now Jesus is asleep. Well, that's not the end of the story, is it? They've only painted that setting. So Mark continues, the disciples speak with great alarm. They are in danger. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Luke's words, and they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. We as the readers can harmonize these comments from the three gospel writers just by putting it together and creating that longer sentence. But, you know, Brenda, even as you're reading, and I always love this, the Mark chapter 4, the sentence in verse 38 is one of the most ironic sentences in the whole New Testament. They wake him up from a deep sleep and they say to him, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And the irony of that, the whole reason that God sent his eternal son to take on flesh, to become a man, to come to earth, was to atone and pay for the sins of the world that all who place faith in him might not have to perish 
in eternally. They can have everlasting life. And I mean, just the irony, don't mm, you care? Yeah. Jesus is the very reason for him to come. <laughs> from his birth to his death, his whole life was because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all care that we are perishing, and they all want to make a way that we don't have to everlastingly be separated from God. And then in the midst of this, Jesus kind of turns the table and he says to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Mark says it this way, he awoke awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to them, peace be still. And then the wind ceased and there was a great calm And he said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? All three gospel writers write about Jesus confronting and saying, where's your faith? They've already seen him do miracles. They've already heard him teach like no man. People all around, when they hear him, they're saying, who is this and how does he teach? He teaches as one that has authority from God. They all had seen this, and yet all three gospel writers are saying his his disciples, including four of them were born and lived on the sea. His disciples were scared to death. And I, as you say that, Walt, it, it just takes me to a head to heart at this point. You know, Jesus got into the boat. He invited the disciples to join him. He said, let's go to the other side. Jesus knew because of that earlier statement, yes, he was man, fully man. Jesus is God, fully God. He knew a storm was coming. He knows all the storms that are coming, including every storm that is in your life today, that is in my life today. And I'm often guilty of pleading with the Lord and exclaiming, do you not care that I'm perishing, that I'm going through this storm right now? Do you not see this difficulty in my life, how hard it is? Yeah, and even as you're saying that, I mean, just, Lord, don't you care about what I'm facing? And I I just think we've had a number of people in our life that have faced really difficult health issues, uh, especially with cancer, and we're reminded. um, We can feel like, God, do you see? Do you care? He does see. He does care. He does know. He can be there in the midst of those storms. And, and again, it's so amazing when you think uh, at least four of the disciples were raised on the Sea of Galilee, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and it's possible that three others, Thomas, Nathaniel, and Philip, they might have worked on there. They had been around the sea for their entire living, their lives. They made their living off the sea, and and they're afraid of the of this storm. But they can realize that their lives are in danger. And and by the way, take this with a grain of salt and maybe take it with a whole salt shaker. Um, It seems like this is a supernatural storm. At the very least, it's a storm that they've never seen anything like it in their whole lives. And they might be men of the sea, but Jesus is the Lord of the storm. And this is intended to teach them all a lesson, that that Jesus is the supernatural Lord of the storm. Yeah, and you know, I love as you're saying that they may be men of the sea, but Jesus is the Lord of the storm. You know, I need to hit the major pause button 
and when I'm in those hard times, when really doubt rises, right? That fear, we're told in all of these passages, they were filled with fear. And recall these powerful words that Jesus spoke. He is in control. He is watching over every detail of your life, of my life. So when I say, I'm afraid, Lord, don't you, don't you see this? I need to remember. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Why, you know, imagine him, you know, as it were, stooping down and looking into the face of a child. Why are you afraid? Why are you filled with fear? Don't you trust me? Don't you know that I care? You know, our Savior allows us to go through storms in this life, not not to beat us up, not to beat us down. He is with us in those storms, but he has lessons for us to learn. And it's that whole idea. He wants my faith to grow. He wants your faith to be stronger. And it's only as we walk through those storms, those times when we have to lean into him and trust him, that our faith grows. And we all want stronger faith, but we many of us struggle with what it's required to get that stronger faith. Well, kind of concluding, and there's so much more we could say, but then Jesus, he arose after sleeping. He arose and he rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, actually, there's two rebuking. He rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was great calm. They must obey him. And he just said, peace, peace. Be still. Mark records the actual words he uses. Peace, be still. And he rebukes the wind and the waves, and they became immediately calm, not like a normal storm. And then he has another word of rebuke. The disciples are marveling. They're saying, what sort of man is this? And he turns to them and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Um, Mark's the only one that records these two rebukes, the words, peace, be still, And the why are you so afraid? And you know, even as he does this, he says to them and challenges them, where's your faith? And what does that look like? They were afraid and they marveled. They'd been afraid of the storm. And now it seems like they're even more afraid of him because he's more than just a great prophet. He's just amazing in that what he can do is he can actually speak to nature. And even as we say that, God is more than just a great prophet. He can speak in your life. He can speak in mine. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are more than just a good prophet. You're more than just a faithful teacher. You are the Lord God Almighty who came in the flesh to dwell among us. And Lord, you can calm those storms of life. You can calm the, the physical storms. You can calm the storms of of disease and destruction. You'd already showed your disciples. And Lord, you can meet us in the midst of that. You want to grow our faith. So we thank you that you are amazing, that you are all-powerful, and that you will walk with us through whatever you take us through, and that you will never leave us nor forsake us once we've placed our faith in you. So Lord, in the days ahead, Would you allow us to just come and walk with you day by day? And until we come together again, may we walk well with the Lord Jesus and walk well with God. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.